0: Welcome back to Leads to Scale, a podcast about building businesses and scaling ideas. I am your host, Toby Daniels. On this week's episode, we have author, ultra marathon runner and consummate storyteller, Charlie Engel. I came across Charlie in 2008 when I was training for my first marathon, when I watched a documentary about him becoming one of the first people to run across the Sahara Desert something which required him and his two teammates to run two marathons a day for 111 consecutive days. After being inspired to go on and run multiple marathons over the next 10 years, I then had the opportunity to meet Charlie at a conference where he was speaking in Los Angeles last year. And then, in May, I managed to convince him to speak at Social Media Week in New York, where he gave a talk entitled, Stories of Survival, How to Use Adversity to Rise Above the Crowd. Charlie is truly one of the most unique humans that I've ever had the opportunity to meet, and I am so excited he agreed to speak with me for this week's episode. When preparing for the conversation, I really wanted to ask him questions that would get to the heart of what drives someone like him and how he went from the idea of running across the Sahara Desert to willing that idea into existence. We also spent some time talking about the transformative power of storytelling and why telling his story has been so important to his journey. We also got to talk about what he's planning for his next big adventure. Again, this was a real honor for me, so I hope you get as much out of the conversation as I did. And as always, thanks again for listening to Leads to Scale. And please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Have a great day and enjoy the conversation. Welcome to Leads to Scale, Charlie. Thanks for joining
1: Ma'am, my pleasure. Happy to be here.
0: So I've been thinking a lot about how I wanted to approach the the, the conversation with you, um, and I, I've been thinking about it for a few different reasons. I mean, you know, compared to some of our other guests on the podcast, I think it's it's fairly obvious to say that you're a little bit of an outlier. But but despite this, I think that when it comes to the sort of idea of scaling ideas, you know, going from going from the kernel of something that's entirely intangible to manifesting an idea and achieving something extraordinary. Your story, uh, in my opinion, is the perfect analog to anyone really thinking about how to move their business goals forward. So with that, I was sort of thinking about, you know, where where should we start? Like, where should we begin in regards to your story? And, and my suggestion is that we we started at rock bottom, right? It's 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 90, 1992, uh, you've just turned 29, you've had your first child, you're an alcoholic, you're a drug addict, and all you have going for you is that you are a certified Baskin Robbins cake maker. So talk, talk to me about this time, this time in your life, and, and specifically what I really wanna understand is what did it take for you to take that first step towards recovery, and then subsequently the the next steps towards becoming one of the world's most accomplished ultramarathoners?
1: Well, first of all, I want to say that uh, don't underestimate the difficulty of being a certified cake decorator, Toby, because that (laughs) that was some difficult times right there, and I was damn good at it. No, but I, I, I'm I thrilled to be here. You actually said something about me right in the intro that's one of the nicest things you could possibly say, and that's that I'm an outlier, because uh, apparently I've had a lifelong journey of not just uh, being different somehow, but, but maybe the opposite is more true. I just had no desire to be normal, and that has certainly led me down some difficult paths at times. And 1992 is Man, that was one of the most difficult. You know, at that point I had been a drug addict for about 10 years and uh, I had been a very high achieving drug addict if you will. You know, I had I had led the country in sales for Toyota for a couple of years. I had run a chain of fitness clubs in Atlanta and uh, kind of overachieved if you will while being a very active drug addict and it, It took a lot of perspective to understand that I was desperately trying to look normal. Even though I just said I don't like to be normal, I was desperately trying to look normal while maintaining a really serious drug habit, drinking and cocaine primarily. And I finally had come to a conclusion that I had to find a way to quit. And I I had tried everything, I mean, or so I thought. And you know, nothing had really stuck with me. And I think it's because I I spent a lot of time thinking about quitting for other people, you know, for my my dad, for my wife, for my job, for whatever. And and then finally at twenty nine my first son was born and I felt like this was finally it. You know, he surely I could quit for him like what could be more important than having this human being that you're responsible for. And, and I, I felt this love and affection for him that I actually thought I was incapable of as an addict that I was just broken and not entitled to it. And and so suddenly here he is and, and it worked for a little while, you know, for a couple of months it worked. And I, and I, I kept it together and I had hope and I felt strong and like, some sort of you know magic wand I found myself driving to you know the worst neighborhood in my city and I ended up inexplicably on a on a six-day crack binge that you know ended with me sitting on the ground watching the police search my car and the car had a couple of bullet holes in it and you know and I and I had in that moment even after being up for six days I had this this thought, this like the clearest thought I'd ever had that, you know, my son can't save me. Like nobody's coming to save me. And if I want to change my life, I damn well better get busy doing it myself. And, and so really everything changed that day. You know, thanks to all of my failed attempts, uh, I, I was finally ready to do something for real.
0: And, and what what did those like initial steps look like uh, in in you know the, the the journey of recovery is not just a long one but it's a lifelong one um, but it requires you know you taking those sort of first few steps and you know I think one of the most interesting things about your story is the fact that you didn't just put your path yourself on a path to recovery but you you put yourself on a on a fundamentally different path towards a life of challenging yourself in extraordinarily difficult ways both physically and mentally can you can you talk about that
1: yeah i had gone man in my 20s mid-20s like five years earlier i'd gone to treatment i'd gone to a bunch of meetings and you know i was (laughs) i was shocked to find out that people went to those meetings to actually quit drinking and doing drugs like i I was going to those meetings, you know, in my mid 20s to, you know, find a way to moderate my drinking or, you know, it, it just seemed to me like cocaine was really messing up my drinking habit. And, you know, I just didn't get it. And so I would sit in those rooms and listen to people talk about how good their lives were. And I didn't believe it. And, you know, so finally, after having it pounded into me enough, I guess, and after this this six day binge, you know, where all I could think about was the, you know, the next hit, I was finally ready to actually do anything necessary. And I, that very night I went to my first recovery meeting, like for real, the first one that I ever went to where I really wanted what it had to offer. And then the next morning I got up and I put on my running shoes and I had been a runner in high school and, I'd even used running during my 10 years of addiction to like clean up every once in a while. And like, I'm never gonna do that again. And I'd start running. And so I I knew that running had benefits, but I strapped on the shoes that day, you know, understanding that this was now about saving my life. And I spent the next three years, Toby, doing those two things. I went to a meeting every single day and I went for a run every single day for three years. And, you know, during those three years, even I actually, you know, I ran something like 30 marathons. And as I like to say, because clearly I had that, that whole addiction thing under control. <laughs> and, you know, I had to, I ran like a maniac, like a madman. And part of me wanted to, you know, I felt like if I just ran hard enough, you know, I could, I could get rid of, the addict that lived inside me like I could just pound that out of me and it it took those three years to actually figure out that my my addiction and my addictive behavior is actually all the best parts of me like that's what makes me good at things now and I think a lot of people can relate to this you know to be successful in anything business personal athletics you know there has to be a certain amount of obsession but that obsession has to be directed in really positive, uh, you know, aims to, to create positive goals and go after those. And as long as I kept drugs and alcohol out of my life, I actually realized that the the addict part of me was was in fact my friend.
0: We interrupt this week's episode of Leeds to scale to share an update in regards to our forthcoming conference in London, the tenth annual edition of social media week london europe's premier conference for media and marketing professionals is taking place at the qe2 conference center in westminster between october 31st and november 1st this year's event will continue the 2019 global theme: stories with great influence comes great responsibility a conversation that will explore how social media has become the most influential story platform in the world has the power to both unite and divide us check out our first wave of speakers and secure your pass by visiting socialmediaweek.org forward slash london and don't forget to use the code leads number two scale at the checkout to save an additional 10 percent off your pass all right let's get back to the show I'm going to fast forward, but then I want you to sort of go back and, and fill in uh, the, the the gaps um, in terms of kind of a, a really important, I think, part of your journey. So in 2006, 2007, you became the first person or, or one of three people to be the first to run across the Sahara Desert, um, which I- is obviously an extraordinary accomplishment. And, and we'll get into it and talk a little bit more about it in a, in a bit, but... After those first three years, what led you from uh, maniacally running away from something, but but in the process becoming a pretty good and a, an accomplished long-distance runner to to then feeling qualified to be able to take on a challenge of this magnitude?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and I you know I think about it often. But I, those three years. I had people in my life who said, look, you know, you seem like you've just switched addictions. You know, before all you did was, you know, drink and party and now all you do is run. And they didn't mean it in a well-meaning way. It was one of those weird backhanded, you know, criticisms, or at least that's how I took it. And it took a while for me to figure out a couple of things, you know not everybody actually wants you to succeed. (laughs) And this is a funny thing that I think we all experience, you know, we, my drinking buddies, the last thing they wanted was for me to get sober because you know, a they lost their drinking buddy and B um, it made them have to look at themselves. You know, when misery really does love company. So as long as you're with other people who are doing the same shitty things that you are, then you really don't have to take a hard look at yourself. So I I did have to consider did I just switch addictions. And it, it took me a bit, but I figured out that, you know, addiction is, addiction is all about being invisible. Addiction is about hiding and having no feelings. Or if you have a feeling, you know, you drink or drug it away. And running was the exact opposite. Everything about running means that you have to be fully present there's no hiding when you're running a marathon or when you're running a hundred miles, like there's nowhere to go, except, you know, internally you've got to figure out how you're going to have the, you know, make it to the next mile or the next country or whatever it might be. And and that realization and the fact that people were always going to criticize me or judge me somehow for running long distances, I finally was able to like let that go and realize that not everybody was gonna be on my team. And once I did that, man, all I wanted to do was to know how far I could go. How far could I run? You know, what could I learn? Because addiction, while it sucked and it was truly hell on earth, it taught me amazing lessons Like all of the best and most useful lessons I ever learned, I learned through fighting my addiction and through being in the depths of of depression and just feeling terrible about myself. And now here I am doing this thing every day, running, that makes me feel great physically, that makes me feel great about myself and you know, and again, I guess the addictive nature that I have, though, made me want to see just how far I could take that. And and so to your question about the Sahara, I, you know, I found myself running all over the world, Vietnam, Borneo, Tibet, Nepal, Ecuador, like just I, I made it my mission to be a cultural explorer and go out there and, and just explore the corners of the planet. And I found myself in the Amazon back in 2005 and this guy, he was a total stranger. You know, I'd never, never met him before, but we're doing this seven day race across the Amazon jungle. So we got some downtime and he just said, Hey, have you ever thought about running across the Sahara desert? And I mean, I, I looked at him like he had two heads and I, I said, that's the dumbest idea <laughs> I've ever heard. Like, why would I think about that? And, and like, is that even possible? And, you know, even though I said that I went home thinking to myself, Yeah, what what about that? And I I was obsessed with it and so I I did a lot of research and I figured out that in fact no one had ever done it before and and go figure, right? And you know, firsts in the adventure world are really hard to come by. And so I just started to tell people that I was gonna be the first person to run across the Sahara Desert. And, and again, I do like to equate this to both, you know, businesses and family, whatever. I just, you know, I just, I said it out loud to other people so I could be held accountable. And I'm not sure I believed it myself at that point. But finally, uh, a guy, I was working as a producer, a television producer at that point for ABC's Extreme Makeover Home Edition, which was a very popular show. And a a buddy of mine knew a director named James Mall And and he offered, I think just to get me to shut up, he offered to make an introduction to James for me and and see what would happen, and I thought maybe I could meet this guy, and he might find a, a student director or, or somebody who would take this Sahara idea and do something with it, because I couldn't afford it. It was a very expensive expedition, and And I go in and I meet James and after, you know, twenty minutes of a terrible presentation, uh, one of the worst pitches I've ever given, you know, he stood up and stuck out his hand and said, Yeah, you know, I'll do it. I'm like, What do you mean? (laughs) He said, Yeah, if you go to the Sahara, I'm gonna be there to film it. And a week later he called and, and said, You know, we need a producer and I just hung up with Matt Damon and Matt told me that he would like to executive produce this project and also narrate the film. And then he paused a second and he's like, would that be okay with you? (laughs) And I I literally took about three beats because I was just so astounded, I think. And being the smart ass that I am, I said... You know, James, I was really hoping for somebody better, but <laughs> but yeah, Matt Damon would do just fine.
0: Well, I wanna, I, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna take a take a, a, a few minutes just to kind of unpack that a little bit, um, because I think that you know what, what's really interesting about this aspect of the story is 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 the sort of the, the combination of bringing together the idea that sort of initial kernel of an idea. I mean, this is what I was talking about before when you think about kind of how do you. How do you move forward? What are those first steps you take once you've had that idea? How do you manifest it into reality? And I love that sort of aspect of the story in the the sense that you just started to kind of talk about it. Like that is the the beginning stages of how you manifest something. You put it out into the world. You see how people respond. Um, You you, you turn it into reality just by simply uh, expressing uh, an idea. And and I just think that's just like so fascinating in, in in terms of thinking about the early stages of something. But then in addition to the goal um, and what's required to physically drag your ass across the Sahara Desert is is the opportunity to then tell that story. And you you obviously understood that it 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 was a story that needed to be told and 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 i want to kind of just talk about this from a personal perspective for a second because um you know, a central kind of theme that runs through a lot of the conversations that i have on this podcast is, is storytelling and in particular the transformative power of storytelling and i actually first became familiar with you and your story when i watched running the sahara back in 2008 which was the year that I started training for my first marathon. And I was just like, you know, looking around the internet and on TV and on iTunes and what have you, just looking for kind of inspiration, looking for something to get me through those like long training runs. And and after watching your film, I remember thinking, well, I, I no longer have the right to, to really ever complain or fuss about putting in like 20 miles on like a long run uh, it just, it felt so absurd to me, given what you had achieved with this particular expedition. Um, and, and, and that's just like so powerful to me. I mean, you know, since the, the film came out, you've written, written a book, you've given talks all over the world. As a result, you've inspired me and I'm sure you've inspired hundreds of thousands, if not millions of other people around the world to basically like get off their asses and run and not complain about it. And, and. At its essence, this is this is for me the power of of storytelling. So, for you, when you when you think about that particular expedition, and you think about the film, um, you think about the impact and effect that the film had. Wh- wh- when you reflect on that, wh- what do you think about when you think about storytelling? Like, what does it really mean to you? Uh, why is it so important to tell your story? Um, you know given the journey you're on and and the impact you want to have and the the legacy that you want to create
1: man yeah thank you for all that you you said a lot there and first of all i do want to say toby that i and all the times you and i have run together i've never actually heard you complain so you've got you've done a good job of covering it up if you ever felt like it so (laughs) you're a good runner and you've got the right attitude and and people assume that I love running, that like running, you know, I'm just one of those weirdos that just like, Oh man, I just love, I, I love stopping dude. I love, I love the feeling that I get when I'm done just like anybody else, you know, I mean, running is uh, transformational, but you know, the Sahara took 111 days to cross on foot, running two marathons a day, every single day and nobody wants to see that i mean so i i always like to point out to myself and if i ever forget my wife will point it out to me like and i'm not just being like falsely humble like there's only so much of that you can watch and then the rest of it is about it's about who you encounter along the way and to get to your point about storytelling because i think that's really the that's the crux of this people have the false impression that i am a runner i am a storyteller first and i tell stories through adventure and then i get to write about them i get to talk about them maybe i get to show a film or tv show about them and that's my way of sort of you know sharing the struggle you know, you'll also note, just like in running the Sahara, if you ever see anything I've done, if I'm making it look easy and pretending like I'm not struggling, then I I don't remember it because I don't remember not struggling. Like, you know, it's I'm just a guy who's maybe uh, a little off kilter and likes to run really long, long distances, but I, I do it so that I can reach that core part of me that allows me to tell honest, open stories, and and in particular stories of struggle, mine and the people that I encounter. You know, going back to the original thing that you said around this, too, the idea, you know, when when the idea really took hold of me and I started saying out loud to other people that I was going to be the first person to run across this era, like that took, I'll give myself credit, that took guts to say that out loud and anybody who's ever started a business or anything like that can relate to this because it takes nerve to, to say it out loud what you intend to do because somebody is going to step up and uh, you're going to have the people who are just whatever they don't really care what you're doing so they're going to say yeah that's great or you're going to have your honest group of friends who are probably going to tell you that's a terrible idea and you can't possibly do it and I had a lot of that. And, you know, a lot of people told me that I, that it wasn't my fault, that it wasn't possible, but just because of the circumstances, it's too hot. There's nowhere to get supplies. Um, you know, it's dangerous, all these things, like there's just no way to do it. And I, I adopted this mantra at the time, and that was just that I let other people own the impossibility i i felt myself handing that over to them and i took possession of everything that was possible and part of that possibility for me was tied up completely in how i told the story and 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 again i always i make the joke all the time it's like trying on pants you know you 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 try them on until you find a pair that fits you well and somebody else they may or may not say that it looks good on you but you know, you've got to just get comfortable telling your own story before you can, you know, hope to get the support of other people. And then there's the final point, and I'll and I'll stop, is I reached the point where I didn't care what anybody else said. Or maybe I cared, but I even almost welcomed another person telling me that it wasn't possible, and I felt my heels digging in. And sure, there was a little bit of fu tied up in that, where I'm just like going, okay, fine, I got, I got your, I can't do this. I'm going to show you, and that'll get you only so far. And and it it may have it may have helped me over a couple a couple of tough humps, but ultimately, I had to have the passion for the project. Nobody could run the miles for me, and so when I'm in the middle of this big adventure and I'm on mile. 38 on day 73, you know, and it sucks. Like there's nowhere else to go except, you know, in my head and in my realization that I can only run the miles that are right in front of me, you know, and I can't worry about tomorrow's problems today. So I I gave you a very roundabout answer there. But, you know, storytelling is where it starts. And if you don't believe your story, nobody else is going to believe it.
0: No, definitely. And, and in, in the um, well, with this particular project in running the Sahara, the goal, of course, was to become the first human or humans to run across the desert. However, the project was much bigger than that in, in the sense that there was a bigger story to tell in part about the region, the continent, um, the human devastation that comes with the lack of access to clean water. Like, wh- Why was this ac- a- aspect of the expedition also so important to you um, and and why did you want it? In addition to your own story, want that to be a central part of the the bigger story that you were telling?
1: Yeah, so I you know I did a scouting trip to the Sahara about a year before the expedition, and I and I visited villages in you know in Senegal and in Niger and Mali, and then in uh, Egypt and there was one overarching theme throughout the Sahara and it's not a surprising one. And that is a lack of clean water, a lack of water at all in a lot of places. But, you know, and I knew that I wanted to try to attach some sort of a, of a cause of a purpose behind this, even though, to be honest, Toby, I'm a, you know, I'm, free and open about my selfishness as a human being. My main purpose for doing this adventure was I wanted to see if I could do it. <laughs> and I think I think people lose sight sometimes with the fact that, you know, life is inherently selfish. And if we're not working to improve ourselves, then we can't possibly hope to improve the world or the people around us. So it's okay to do something that you want to do. Like you don't have to be embarrassed to go run a marathon just because you want to. You don't have to raise money for some cause or charity. You certainly can. But so that's the way I looked at it. And Matt Damon and I actually spoke and I told him what I saw in this era. And 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 it boiled down to, you know, people were dying and they couldn't they couldn't have schools. They had no sanitation. Like they you can't live without water. Everybody knows that. And and we agreed that we would start H2O Africa and see what happened. And, and we managed together to raise more than $6 million during the run and just after the run showing the film uh, around the country. And, you know, all of a sudden we had something and neither of us were nonprofit administrators. I certainly didn't want to do it. So um and he has this job called acting which i don't know why he just didn't give that up but um
0: and by and by he he you're you're referring to matt damon, matt damon right
1: it. i mean i don't know why he just didn't stop all that acting nonsense i mean you know and just run a non-profit but no but he's he's an amazing guy but anyway we decided together that we would find a uh, a partner and i found a guy named gary white who i already knew and, and gary was a fellow tar heel from north carolina and He had an existing nonprofit uh, called Water Partners, and together we banded together and created Water.org. And a lot of people are familiar with Water.org. Matt still does advertisements, and you'll see like Stella Artois, Super Bowl commercials, and you know, Water.org was born out of this crazy idea that running across the Sahara could actually mean something. And last year we surpassed a billion dollars in funding. And you know, there are quite literally millions of people around the world who have benefited from uh, access to clean water and sanitation because of water.org. And look, man, you know me, you've known me long enough now. I'm not, I think I'm a nice, nice enough guy and I have a, my intentions are good, but I'm no like philanthropist that set out to change the world and and i think that that's the thing that's lost on people sometimes they they forget what an impact you can have by just changing one person's life and you don't know where that's going to lead
0: well i i I think that is that is the the uh, interesting thing for me um particularly when i think about kind of what you're up to now and 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 the next big expedition that you're planning. But I guess my question for you is, do you think there's a cor- corollary between your story, um, the journey that you've been on, the adversity that you've faced and overcome, and then what you know we as a human species and a planet are, are currently facing and, and will have to inevitably face in the future in regards to global warming and, and climate change? And and I guess I guess connected to that, you know, is is that to a certain extent part of what has inspired you to think about your next expedition?
1: Man, yes, that's such a great question, Toby. And it, and because it looks, it boils down to this simple idea that you know it feels overwhelming, right? Like if whatever you care about. I don't care if it's, you know, if it's cancer or if it's global, if it's global climate change or if it's human rights or whatever, you know, you watch the news or you see what's going on. All of those problems are so massive that it you, we all are subject to these, these feelings of, Holy shit, how could I possibly ever make a difference in this? So therefore I just won't do anything <laughs> or Maybe I'll give a few dollars to this thing. And and we lose sight of the fact that um, just like running the Sahara, just like sobriety, it, it really is about this idea of one day at a time, one step at a time. You know, if you do, if I do what is right in front of me and I do, as we say in recovery, the next right thing, I make the next right choice. Experience tells me it will lead to something else good. And so I have been just like you have been and every person listening to this has been on a lifelong roller coaster of highs and lows. Like that's the human condition. You have these, you know, ethereal, wonderful, amazing moments that usually revolve around, uh, you know, our kids or business success or completing some physical challenge then a lot of the rest of the life is fairly mundane. Like it just sort of is, it just sort of is. And then we have those times when we're, you know, we're blindsided by something or something that we really counted on doesn't work out. And that's everybody on the planet that deals with that. So for me, I came up with this idea to put, you know, an actual tangible thing Around that idea of lowest to highest, and I decided that I would go from the lowest place on the planet, the Dead Sea, to the top of Mount Everest, which, as everybody knows, is the highest point on the planet. And to do that, I would have to cover about 5,000 miles across several countries and big bodies of water. And, you know, it would arguably be one of the most difficult and challenging physical undertakings ever. But it's as much as anything a cultural undertaking i I don't i don't want to cross the world and show everybody the human suffering and the environmental devastation because we see that shit every single day and it's important and it's impactful but you know what we forget is the beauty that's out there you know the amazing people that are out there and the beautiful parts of the environment that are worth saving and as you know i I call it 5.8 because it's it's 4,500 miles from the lowest place to the highest point but it's actually only 5.8 vertical miles from the lowest place to the highest point that's it less than a 10k it's 5.8 vertical miles and we're all in it together you know me here in north carolina you in new york anybody that's listening anywhere in the world we're all in that tiny little sliver of space so you're already part of it, whether you want to be or not. So you might as well, you know, find a way to make an impact, whatever that means to you.
0: It's a it's a it's a really poignant and beautiful way of, of thinking about it. Certainly in terms of making us feel more connected. Um, and and in, in the spirit of that, and when I think about the time frame between the film coming out in like 2007, 2008 and today and how the communication landscape has shifted uh, over that time, how different it is today to tell stories, the opportunities and options and the mediums through which you can communicate and tell your story have just so fundamentally shifted. And in some ways, uh, that's good. Um, there are more than 3.2 billion people on the planet who are able to connect to each other through social media. But as we know, it's, it's, a, it's a medium that simultaneously seems to bring us closer together while also tearing us apart. Um, r- rather than getting into that, into that or having that discussion or debate, I'm interested to, to understand how you've adapted over that time as a storyteller. I'm sure it must feel at times a little overwhelming, but um, you know, at, at your core, at, 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 you know, at the heart of all of this is the fact that you are a storyteller. So I'm interested to 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 hear your kind of thoughts and and experiences as you as you've had to adapt, and then also how you're thinking about five point eight and how to tell that story. Yeah,
1: as you know, Toby, I've called you several times uh, throughout our our acquaintance, and I've said. What do I do, Toby? <laughs> how do I how do I tell this story on social media because you're, you know, I consider you to be one of the, you know, the top social media experts and I what I love though is the fact that you're humble enough to say to me most of the time that you don't have all the answers and that it is an ever changing free-flowing situation and so that those conversations have actually helped take the pressure off of me because everybody does we all tend to look at how many followers do i have and how many likes am i getting and you know then i'll get on some other adventure site and i'll see the cool stuff that other people are doing and i i'm subject to like going you know man am i you know how come they have a hundred thousand followers and they're you know, they're doing this and I've only got that, you know, man, it's such a never ending circle. Mm -hmm. So as 5.8 approaches, I'm happy to say that our conversations have helped me reach a point of acceptance and, and also of remembering that the story is what matters and the story will find its audience. Yes. I need to put it out there in various places whether it's you know instagram or some other version of social media all the regular ones that we know about you know film it myself put it on my own website it's more as a storyteller i finally had a uh, a moment of relief probably a month ago when you know i even think it was during or just after one of our conversations where i basically just said you know what this is This is like everything else. This is up to me. This is not in somebody else's control. I need to just go do this thing and people will be attracted to it or they won't be Mm -hmm. like that's just going to happen. And word of mouth will help spread it to the right people. And, you know, it is important for me as a filmmaker and photographer and writer, it is important that I document it that I point the camera at myself and tell stories along the way and that I, that I document the people that I meet, the things that I see. I'll give you one quick example. One of the best things I ever did, which, which really led to, I think, some of the best chapters in my book in running man is that when I crossed the Sahara, Uh, I made a decision that I was going to keep an audio journal because I'd already been on enough big expeditions where I took like a a journal, like a paper journal to write in. And guess what happens after about three days of running 50 miles a day? (laughs) You, you never write in it again. Mm -hmm. And, and so this time I said, okay, every day, every single day, I'm going to start my day by talking into the tape recorder. And so for 15 minutes in the morning, every day, I would just speak into the tape recorder. Or if I encountered something particularly beautiful or a conversation I was having with somebody or an emotion that was happening, I would pull out the tape recorder. And I would do it because there's, when you think about your own, I'll give you the best example. When you think about running a marathon, and like three days later you try to relate to the pain you were in at the worst moment in the marathon you can no longer really tap into what that felt like like you think you do but you can't remember whereas if you had if it was on film or on a recorder like it's real and it's you know you're able to be in touch with those senses and so I now, granted, I ended up with like 500 pages of transcribed notes after the Sahara Desert. But it gave me context where, you know, I could, I could say with great accuracy, here's what I saw, what I smelled, what I felt, the conversations I had, uh, you know, everything about it. So with 5.8, I'm going to do the same thing. Even if it's just for me, I'm going to make sure that I do it in real time, that's the other beauty of social media. You know, I, I, I have T-Mobile as a sponsor and I'm lucky to have them because we're going to be able to send things back from Ethiopia and Kenya and even on top of Kilimanjaro in real time and let people who want to actually follow along on this journey.
0: You know, I think, there's there's as I mentioned, kind of at the top of the conversation, there there are so many things I think to think about as uh, uh, as an anal- analog to running, uh, endurance running, and and the the creation and manifestation of of ideas. Um, and it's interesting because when you talk about. Um, you know, storytelling in, in in a in the modern era of, of social media, the most important thing or I should say the least important thing is concerning yourself with the the platform or the latest shiny tool or, you know, chasing chasing audiences wherever they might be and instead just becoming really good at, at, at telling stories. And and you can only get really good at telling stories, particularly on social media, by doing it every day. Um, ensuring that it's it's regular and frequent and consistent and and that you are committed to just you know honing the the craft of storytelling in in whatever medium you know you've chosen to to tell your stories through and and those those breakthrough moments when you suddenly find yourself um reaching more and more people you know that takes time but it only happens as a result of the regularity and the frequency by which you tell your story, um, there is no secret source. It's 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 not that I'm necessarily trying to be humble in not providing you with like all of the advice that that you think you need. It's it's that um, it it's it's actually like not as hard as people think. In that that there isn't a silver bullet solution. Um, it just takes. Dedication and and hard work and and what I love about you know I've I've seen you adapt to the medium and and in particular your use of Instagram and and you know I'm an avid consumer of the content you put out there and you know you're putting it out often it's very raw it's very personal Um, most of the time you're on a run and you, you you just cannot underestimate the importance of that and the impact that has on people and that's the key. Um, when it comes to finding your audience. Um, because if you can impact one person in a meaningful way through the stories that you tell, then obviously you can impact two, 10,000, and potentially a million, and, and that story will find its audience. Um, and it's always a bit disappointing when I talk about this, but you know, it's, it, the secret isn't the tool or the platform necessarily, it's, it's just simply the, the process of, of how you tell stories. Um man.
1: yeah. Thank you for thank you for that. Actually it's really that that's yes. Yeah. Everything you said right there, I, I was nodding my head silently here and you you know, you really helped uh clarify those things for me and the, the idea of consistency is the thing that's you know that's changed the most and and you know, I'd rather have you know, a thousand truly, truly dedicated, you know, warrior followers that that want to make the world better than a hundred thousand people that just mildly care about what I'm doing.
0: <laughs> well, let's try and get you to a hundred thousand people that care deeply about what you're doing. But uh, you know, with with that, let's let's just spend a minute or two just before we wrap up, just talking about. Um, uh, 5.8 for seconds. So you're about to embark upon kind of like the first of your expeditions, which is uh, Kilimanjaro. So just talk about that quickly. Um, and then how can people find you and, and, and follow the expedition and, and follow this next adventure?
1: Yeah, thanks for that. So this very first one is uh, 5.8 Africa, and and I am going to be going. I didn't really say this before, but I'm going to go from the lowest point, lowest place, to the highest point on all seven continents. So Africa's first up, starting on August 27th. Uh, so just a few weeks from now. Oh my God. Yes, I I'm I'm going to Africa. <laughs> I keep every time I say that out loud, it's like holy crap. <laughs> So uh, and that expedition will I'll start in Djibouti, which is at the uh, which is in East Africa. And there's a lake in the middle of the country called Lake Assal, which is the lowest point in Africa. And I'll go across the entire Rift Valley in Ethiopia and Kenya onto the Maasai Mara region and then into Tanzania and up to the top of Kilimanjaro. And it's going to take about 30 days total. Uh, I will be running, biking, swimming, paddling, and climbing. So it's a little bit of everything, navigating. And people get, you know, the simplest way, Toby, I think it's just for folks to go to my personal website, which is just charlieengle.com. And on there, there's clear tabs that say 5.8 Adventure, or if you want to see talks that I've given or photos or follow me, Uh, In any imaginable way, including all the social media ways, Um, I will say I have a mailing list. Like, so if people will sign up on my website to follow the adventure, uh, they will get, you know, special videos and blogs that will go out to a private mailing list, which, you know, might include a few, a few little cool things. And I'm not going to bombard people with that part. If you want to be bombarded, just watch social media (laughs) and and uh, you know, and again, I plan on telling the most honest, interesting story that I can. And it's not about running, you know. It's about it's about exploration and life, and and hopefully just good old fashioned, honest storytelling.
0: And um, between now and then, it's not like you're going to be sort of sitting on your ass, putting your feet up, and relaxing. Uh, This weekend is a very special weekend for you, I know, as you will be celebrating 27 years in recovery, 27 years sober. So congratulations for that. Uh, How are you celebrating?
1: Man, I'm going to go out and get drunk. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) I say that to people every year and somebody will say, Really? I'm like, no, no that is, Although, although, because you know, I'm 27 years sober, and and tomorrow morning I start a 27-hour run, uh, non-stop run to celebrate. That's my way of celebrating these days. And uh, I do often say that if I just could have one little relapse, I could go back to one hour, and it would be a whole lot easier. But. That's, It seems counterproductive. I'm pretty sure that if I had that one relapse, uh, you'd just never see me again. (laughs) But um, I'm excited, man. I'm excited. I'm nervous. It's weird. 300 people actually came out last year for 26 and ran, I run it on a three-mile loop around an amazing treatment center called Healing Transitions uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. And Healing Transitions is unique. It's like the only, practically the only, only facility of its kind it's free the treatment center that's absolutely free it's a homeless shelter treatment center they have about 300 people in there you know at any given time and it's exactly where our tax dollars should go instead of paying to put people in jail who just need help you know it's a place where people can go no questions asked until you get it right so i'm going to run this three mile loop around healing transitions for 27 straight hours and i'm I'm hoping I'll have at least 400 people come out this year. There's a lot of local news media. Uh, last year, Runners World magazine covered this, and we had about 600,000 views on a little video that was put out. And you know, this is about. Look, I'm going to have I'm going to have guys who have like one day clean and sober. You know, out there walking or running or manning the aid station, and like that's the shit that keeps me sober. Like, they think I'm giving them something, they're, they're giving it to me. And, and I'll, you know, I've said this to you before, and you, you exemplify it. You know, to keep it, you have to give it away. Like, whatever your gift is, whatever you have to offer and that you're passionate about, if you're not giving it away to other people... For, for their benefit for no other reason that it can help somebody else then in my view you' you're wasting an awful lot of time and so this is my way of doing that
0: well Charlie thank you so much i I really do appreciate our friendship the the opportunities that we have to collaborate and work on some of these crazy ideas I, I love your infectiousness I love how much you inspire me and and those around you and so, Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Good luck with 5.8. Good luck with the 27-hour run this weekend. Thank you again, Charlie. It was my pleasure,
1: Toby. And you know, I see you often, but I do want to tell you, I'll leave you with this. You will be joining me on one of these expeditions. You understand that, right?
0: I fully understand and appreciate that, Charlie. I can't wait. (laughs) All right, my friend. I'll see you later. Thank you for listening to Leads to Scale, a podcast from Social Media Week. Leads to Scale is edited and produced by Al Manorino. For the latest news and insights, or to learn more information about how to get involved with future Social Media Week events, please visit socialmediaweek.org.